Welcome to the E-Commerce Fuel Podcast, your headquarters for building a six-figure-plus e-commerce business. I'm your host, e-commerce entrepreneur and Jeff Bezos wannabe, Andrew Derry. Hey, hey, guys, it's Andrew here, and welcome to the E-Commerce Fuel Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about phone calls, phone support, and if you should or shouldn't have a phone number. And joining me to dive into the, the thorny issue is Bill D'Alessandro, who absolutely killed it last week with his talk at E-Commerce Fuel Live. Bill, welcome, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. Yeah, your talk got a lot of great feedback, man. I mean, you you covered, obviously, your business, how to purchase a business, how to rebrand it, and probably the densest in the best possible way uh, presentation in terms of like just value pack, or at least one of them that I've seen in a long time. You did a really nice job. Thanks, man. Well, I hope you forgive me for going half an hour over then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was standing up there behind you for half an hour giving you the stink eye, but you just powered through. It was great. <laughs> so today, before we dive into the phone issue, I want to do a first sell shout out first. And this one's going out to Jim and Lynette Kutcher from huntersapron.com. And they write it and said, first sale in less than a week. Last night, we got our first sale from our brand new website. We just made it public a few days ago, and it was amazing to see the notice from Stripe saying someone had actually given us real money for a product we invented, designed, and made with our own hands. So congratulations, guys. Huntersapron.com. If you're in my neck of the woods, Montana, or Bill's Denver, check them out. I imagine uh, a lot of people there could use those, especially with fall coming up here and, and hunting season opening up soon. And then a quick reader question from Nick. Nick writes in and says, I want to get into drop shipping. However, each time I've tried, I've learned that the vast majority of manufacturers and suppliers require a brick and mortar store to be able to sell online. How do I get my start if this is the case? Thanks. Bill, any thoughts on that? So it's actually funny that Nick wrote that in today because I just had an experience with that yesterday. So there's a product. I know you know this, Andrew. My girlfriend is really into horses. She rides a lot. She owns a horse. And there's a horse product that was not available on Amazon, really popular horse product. And I called the manufacturer and I said, basically, can I open a wholesale account? I want to sell your stuff on Amazon. And they told me to get lost. They were not interested, and I, which is crazy to me because I said, I'm going to move so much of your product. But they told me to get lost, but I knew there was a big opportunity. So I went into my local horse store. I just Googled it <laughs> <laughs> because I am not a horse guy. But I went into my local horse store who carries this product and I asked for the owner and I said, Hey, look, I want to buy like 50 cases. You know, I want to buy a bunch. Will you split your retail margin with me? So he'll still make, you know, I, I don't know what his margin is. He hasn't told me yet, but let's say he's, he's getting 50 off. He'll, he'll still make 25%. And then that'll leave me room, a bit of margin. Then I'll probably mark it up a bit on Amazon. So that's what one thing I'd recommend. See if you can find a local store that would be willing to act as your, liaison with the brand. Yeah, sneaky, man. I've, I've heard that from other folks. I know Billy Murphy, he, in one instance, he actually went and partnered with a, a local store, kind of similar to what you did. But his approach was, hey, guys, I'd like to carry this product line and they require that I open a brick and mortar store. So here are my options. I can either go out and open my own brick and mortar store and compete with you locally or you can be my partner here and I'll buy from you, increase your business, or at least give you a little bit of a kickback or something. And then uh, you can be kind of my local presence and we can partnership and I can get the account that way. So, and I know a lot of people will sometimes, you know, sometimes they'll take fake pictures or they'll get like a warehouse space and that kind of sketchy stuff. And those are options, probably not as good. And sometimes if you can 
just get a foot in the door and build a relationship with a sales rep, with someone like that, and get to know them. Because really what people are usually worried about is low quality sellers selling their stuff, right? Part of it is about brick and mortar, but more or less, a lot of times these big brands don't want their brand diluted by a lot of, you know, kind of people that don't know what they're doing, spreading their stuff all over the line at, at rock bottom prices. So if you can convey that to them and give them assurance that's not going to be you, sometimes you can convince them otherwise. So that, that's a good point. One other thing to add, if you agree, if you tell the manufacturer you're willing to agree to map pricing, minimum advertised price, so you're not going to be stealing sales from any of their other existing merchants or their own website, sometimes that warms them up to it a little bit. Great. So good luck with that, Nick. And it's, uh, it can be tricky, but there's a few ways around it if you can get creative. So today, like I mentioned at the top, we're going to be talking about, talking about phone support. If you should have a phone number, if you shouldn't. And we'll link up to a post in the show notes that I wrote a while back called The Store Owner's Dilemma. Should you offer phone support? Because it's a thorny issue. And a lot of things we want to talk about, but right off the top, I think it's important to kind of set things in context because Bill and I come from this from very different perspectives. So Bill, can you kind of talk about, you know, what your needs are? Cause especially it's kind of driven by business model, profit margin, and the needs of your customers, which really dictates if phone support's a good idea. So can you give us a sense, like what are the phone support needs for your customers at Nurture My Body? And then I'll follow up with the ones for Right Channel Radios. Sure. So for example, one of my businesses, Nurture My Body, we sell organic skin and hair care products, fairly hand, fairly expensive. Our customer is uh, typically female. She's 40 to 50. Uh, she's got kids, typically high earning. And she is often, she just wants a little bit of touchy-feely. She's about to spend $30 on an eight-ounce bottle of shampoo. She wants to speak to the person that made it. It's not so much that she wants to grill you. It's just that she wants to be made to feel comfortable. So there's definitely a phone support component to my business. I've tried in the past to not have a phone line and I just get tons of emails and my conversion rate actually goes down. So I have now flipped to, I have a big phone number in the header, contact us. And I did the phone support for a long time myself until I got really tired of that and learned a lot, a lot about skincare that I never (laughs) thought I would know. Did you use Um, a woman's voice to try to connect with your customers? (laughs) No, they probably didn't trust me very much. (laughs) 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 But now I've outsourced it to a call center because the volume got too much for me to handle. Yeah. And I'm excited to talk about call center stuff in in, in a few minutes here because that's something I have zero experience with. With Right Channel Radios, it's different because it's, you know, our customers are primarily probably male between the ages of 30 and 60. And for our product, it's not a branded product like we've talked about, right? Like the big value add we have is helping people understand what they need because our products, by the way that they are, are complex and they're confusing. And so the needs that we have our customers have a lot of times they want to call up and it's not just, Hey, are you a real person? Okay, great. Let me place the order. Thank you so much. And and three or four or five minutes later, you're on your way. It's hi, I have a 1968 Jeep CJ and I have no idea what six components I need. Can you walk me through it? Which is a a much more involved process. Yeah. Yeah, So very different needs. And I think that, you know, that ties into the big point for phone support, which is phone support is expensive. It's by far, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, Bill, but I think it's probably the most expensive support medium there is. And you have to have a business model that can support it. You know, if you've got high ticket items with massive margins, yes, it's no brainer phone support. If you have low profit 
items and high volume complex items like we do at Right Channel, it's all drop shipped and they're complex. That's harder to say because all of a sudden you're weighing those lower margin profits against you know the need to help complex you know solve complex problems. And so, I mean, there's a reason that Amazon doesn't offer a prominent phone number. But it, so this is one of the things that's tough. Phone support's great, but you got to really think of it in light of the business model you have. Yeah, I think it's really the trade off. I'm going to lose some sales by not having a phone number. But by having a phone number, I'm going to capture those sales, but then I'm also going to lose some margin on all of the other sales, the people that just want to call and, and run their mouths or, you know, waste my time. Yeah. And it's tough because it's, it's really difficult to segment if, if, in an ideal world, if you got a phone call and a little, uh, little pop-up said, Hey, this is a guy who just wants to order. Hey, this is a guy who's going to ask you five or six reasonable questions and place an order. Hey, here's someone who has a legitimate customer problem versus, Hey, here's someone who is going to spend 45 minutes talking to you about something completely irrelevant or, you know, low value customers. You don't know that you have no idea. And you can kind of segment a little bit. You can, in theory, you know, you can kind of try to offer a phone number to more valuable customers, maybe in the checkout process when you know that there's a higher likelihood of them buying, maybe on like business pages where, you know, it's B2B customers, but it's, it's hard. It's really hard to do. We've tried to segment it and it's not as easy. That's a good idea, actually. I'd never thought about that, but maybe just to show the phone number to new visitors. And then if anybody's logged in or they're a return visitor, don't show them the phone number because that call is more likely to be a, hey, I need to process a return or you know something that could be handled over email. Whereas the new customer that calls probably dollars on the phone. Actually, it's interesting. I actually think it's almost as important. Personally, I would almost rather, if I had to offer a phone number to either only new customers or only existing customers, I think I would probably opt for the existing customer just because the new customers, you do get a lot of people who don't have, you know, maybe they're looking for something you don't have. Maybe they, you know, you're not a good fit. Let's, you know, it depends on your close rate, right? But let's say your close rate's like 25, 30% versus you get existing customers. They get a hold of someone really quickly because obviously an existing customer is so much easier to resell to than a new customer. Yeah, I could see it going either way. I think we'd have to test that. Yeah, and it's interesting too. You said, Bill, that you've tested phone numbers on the homepage, and we did that too. We tested having just a huge, massive 800 number in the header for a while, AB split testing, just based on the conversion rate for people online. So this doesn't include anyone who called up and actually placed an order over the phone, but the effect it had in terms of boosting confidence just for online conversions was like 10 plus percent which is, is pretty, <laughs> I mean, it's going to be more than that with the phone owners. Have you guys seen similar stuff with testing you've done at all? Yeah. And I've also seen, I'm definitely in the phone number. And again, it's my customer base, you know, 40 and 50 year old women. They're just comfy on the phone. Some people I have, in fact, one of them's a guy. I have this guy that calls me, his name's Daniel, calls me every month, like clockwork to order. <laughs> and like, I've, I tell him every month uh, that you can go on the website, like do this in three clicks. And he just likes to call. Some people just like to, especially older folks, I think. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's, some people definitely love the phones. One thing I think it's really important to think of, if you don't have phone support, and again, if you've decided based on your testing and, and looking at, you know, because things you should look at, maybe to step back, things you should look at is, is you should look at, you know, what percentage of your orders come in over the phones. And a quick and easy kind of quick tip for how to do that is if you set up two Google profiles, we have one, it'll be interesting to hear if you do this too, Bill, but we have two Google profiles for our store. The first one is completely unfiltered. Any sale that comes through gets recorded there. The second profile filters out our home city. So we're in Bozeman, Montana, and that's where we accept phone orders. 
orders. And so any transaction that comes through Bozeman, because we pretty much just are on the phone and enter it through the website more or less. It's secure, but we just use our own website that gets filtered out. So you can look at the difference between those two and you can say, Oh, okay. That's the, the difference is the people that are ordering on the phones. Oh, that's cool. That's a good idea. So I, I think it's important to look at those things, get a sense for, you know, what's your increase in conversion, how much, you know, how many of your orders are coming in through the phones. So look at that analytically to decide if phone support makes sense. But there are some hard things to measure, some, some things that are intangible that you shouldn't forget about. And one is, it's not always about the bottom dollar. You need to think about things like your customer experience and their satisfaction and the word of mouth marketing. And even if somebody, can, this is something we're, we're thinking through with a big redesign we're doing now, it's how to best use phones. Even if somebody buys and they don't have phone support in the future, you don't see them getting frustrated a lot of times if they can't get you. You may, I mean, you, you may get emails from people saying, why don't you have a phone number? But nine out of 10 people probably are just going to email you, be annoyed and not order from you again. So, you know, that's actually one of the reasons that I went back to having a phone number because without a phone number, and I can't quantify this, but without a phone number, I would get all these emails going, I want to call you. How can I call you, et cetera. And all of those emails were taking time to answer. And I said, hell, I might as well be on the phone with these people. <laughs> so, that, and you know, they were clearly upset and they found the company more sketchy because there was no phone number. Yes. I've, I've heard that too from people. And it's tough because even if like, we're very anal about providing great service via email and things, but yeah, if someone gets, wants to get a hold of you via the phone and they can't, it's, it, it's, you know, like you said, it's a negative impact on your image. Another thing not to think about, this is the flip side. You shouldn't forget about the cost of task switching if you are running the phones yourself. Like if you're trying to do substantial long-term projects, I think most people are familiar with like the sense of flow. Like it takes a while to get into something and really hit full stride, especially complex issues. And if you've got a phone ringing every 20 minutes, 30 minutes, you also have to think about wow, how much is this killing my productivity? And again, this goes back to the business model, being able to, to afford that. But it's not just about, if you're answering 10 phone calls per day, but they're spread out evenly throughout the day, you're losing much more productivity than just the time that you're on the phone. So it's, uh, did you know that Microsoft actually did a study on that? And about how people don't go back uh, about task switching? No. I actually, I wrote a post on my blog a little while ago called the urgent versus important matrix, how to handle interruptions. And there's this, I found this study by Microsoft. So they basically taped 29 hours of people working in a typical office and found they were interrupted on average four times every hour, wow. which sounds, I mean, I think that sounds pretty average. Like I get, you get interrupted by emails, phone calls, but the kicker was 40% of the time, the person did not resume the task they were working on before the interruption. And the more complex the task, the less likely the person was to resume working on it after the interruption. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just, it's so hard when you think about it. Like there's some, a lot of days I'll try to sit down and be like, okay, I need to get this done. If you try to time yourself in the amount of time you actually work on something, heads down, no distractions, you are, if you get five hours of real work done a day, you're doing really well, like real heads down, nothing, you know, because oh, yeah. it's, it's so hard because I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just a, a total slacker, but it's, <laughs> that'd be a huge win for me. Five hours straight. <laughs> you know, it's uh, productivity and distractions are distractions are everywhere rather. So another thing to think about, I think if you don't have phone support, if you do make the decision, Hey, we're not going to offer a phone number, you must, must, must have 
killer response times via your email. Because if you don't, you're just really shooting yourself in the foot. So that's one thing we try to do. And I think our team here does really well. Like we had somebody on Trustpilot last yesterday respond to like a two-star review. And so we've got this whole system. Anytime we get a two-star review, we get emailed. And we had responded to them and fixed the problem in like, you know, it was awesome. It was like, I was emailing my sales manager to take care of it. And it was like, five minutes later and it was done. So if you don't have the phones, you got to just really excel in the other platform for communication. So that was actually the trap I fell into for a while. I also was like, all right, people want a phone number, but I don't want to talk to people. So what I did is I offered a phone number that goes straight to voicemail. Yeah, I think that's a temptation a lot of people get into. But what I realized is basically I was setting up an expectation and then letting people down. They saw a phone number and then they would call and it would go straight to voicemail and they would leave these kind of ticked off voicemails that said, just call me back. And then that voicemail will get dropped into my inbox with all of my other email load. So it was an email anyway. I should have just made them email. Or if I had wanted to not disappoint them, I should have just taken their phone call. So I actually don't think that the voicemail, the straight to voicemail phone number is a good option in practice. It sounds really tempting. It sounds like the best of both worlds. But I think in practice, it, it's really bad customer experience. Yeah. And that's something we actually we have set up on right channel now. And again, we've gone back and forth with so many different things. And over the last like two or three months, we came to the same conclusion. It's just, it's not ideal. I think it's one of the things that's tough about this. Again, this goes back to the business, having a business model that can support phone support, which is where it's a little tricky for us. It's easy as a business owner to say, what's best for our team? What allows us to operate most effectively and efficiently? Because I'm an efficiency Nazi, Bill. I know you're pretty, you know, efficiently minded. From a customer's perspective, though, it sounds really like, oh, hey, of course, that's obvious. But I think more often than not, we don't really put ourselves in our customer's shoes and say, dude, that would piss me off if I called up and I went straight to voicemail and had to call someone back. So I think it's easy to, to get into the efficiency versus the experience mindset. I want to chat about a few services to use in terms of VoIP services, at least that I've used, and then dive into call centers and some of those because Bill excited to dig into your experience there. We use Ring Central. That's a really well-known one. It's I wouldn't give it a, you know ten out of ten, but for the cost, for the features, it's fairly decent. Grasshopper is another one that really is more of a, a call forwarding. If you're looking for a lot of extensions, Grasshopper probably isn't the best choice. But for really small teams or kind of just basic call forwarding, I think Grasshopper works pretty well. One thing I would recommend is don't use Skype for your inbound call service. Their voicemail systems are terrible. Logistically, it's can be hard to set up when you've got different routing. They don't have routing options or extensions. And it's kind of tempting to say, hey, I'm just going to go ahead and pay 35 bucks per year for a Skype in number and have that be my line. That's not ideal. So you got any experience with any of those, Bill? Yeah. So this is going to sound like a commercial, but I'm on Ring Central too. Uh, (laughs) I previously been using phone.com and I really enjoy phone.com has really awesome routing functionality and extensions functionality. I was very impressed with it. But their call quality was not very good. Like it would ring out answer and there would be no one on the other end. I was having problems with the call quality. So that's why I switched to Ring Central. And I've actually been very happy with the call quality on Ring Central. One thing I would recommend, you said not Skype, and I totally agree with that. I would take it one step further. It's very tempting to use a soft phone or to use a, a microphone. Get a VOIP phone. All of these services support it, like Ring Central supports it. A phone is like 150 bucks, and it is hands down the best thing I have bought in the past year. Like, I miss having a landline. Like, you just want to forward it all to your cell phone, and it's this little thing. You got to hold it against your face. It gets hot. <laughs> and the, the big phone, the, it's, like, it's like a real desk phone. You pick it up. You can cradle it between your shoulder. It it's, has a speaker phone that doesn't suck. 
you can plug in at like a good headset. I love having my desk phone. So spring for the, the desk phone if you use one of these services. I think it's totally worth it. Amen. And ditto if this goes doubly so if you're on a Mac. We had uh, we tried using the soft phone for Ring Central on a Mac and it was just a nightmare to try to get it to work right. And then our sales manager, Pat, went over to exact same thing, desk phone. And when you say a VoIP phone, you mean like a physical phone that you don't plug into a, a phone outlet, you plug into an internet connection and it works over the internet is what you're saying. It ties yeah. into Ring Central. Yeah, I plug mine in. So there's two ways you can do it. With Ring Central, I have one that you just plug straight into your router. It just has an Ethernet cable in the back. With phone.com, I had what was called, I think it's called a VOIP bridge. It was basically like this little box and it had two ports on it. It had an Ethernet port that you plug into your router and then it had just a regular phone jack so you could use any phone with it. And I think that might have also been, so that's your other option, but I think that might have also been my problem with phone.com. I think it was kind of finicky. So I would go for the straight up designed to be VoIP, plug the Ethernet straight into the phone option. Yeah. Yeah. And you can get wireless ones too, which are, which are snazzy as well. Yeah. Um, so I want to dive into call centers, Bill. This is something I have zero experience with. And so when you're looking at a call center, what a number of things I want to cover, but right out of the gates, what are costs? Like what do costs range from? And I'm guessing it's a per minute thing or how does that work? What are you looking at for costs at a call center? Sure. So you got to typically the cost is segmented your calls. Almost every call center now, not just does phone, but they'll also do email tickets. So they typically price each of those separately. So I pay about 78 cents a minute at my call center, which means if someone calls and gas for 10 minutes, that's $7.80. But that actually doesn't happen very often. Most of the calls are two or three minutes, four minutes, and it's a couple bucks. And, you know, my products are fairly high margin. And if you're able to get a $100 sale or a $200 sale every fifth time, I think it's totally worth it. That being said, I actually just pulled up my bill from the call center and they break out my minutes between calls that resulted in an order and calls that were customer service. And they spent in the past two weeks, they spent 215 minutes on the phone for customer service and they only spent 19 minutes on the phone for orders. Wow. Okay. So that means I spent in total on phone support in the past two weeks, just under $190. And almost all of that was, was really just customer support, investing in the experience for your customers versus having them go online. Most of it, but think about it. So I spent $190, 18 minutes. Let's say that's, I bet that's three orders. So that's potentially $300 in revenue. So I've probably roughly broken even and provided great service. So basically I got, I got the customer service calls for free but I was able to get, I don't, and unfortunately I don't track actually how many orders it was, but I'm just guessing, you know, I think an order phone call is probably six minutes tops. And if they spent 19 minutes on the phone taking orders, that's probably three at my average order value of about a hundred bucks. So, you know, I probably broke even on the call center over the last two weeks. Yeah. Interesting. Ballpark. One of the things I've always wondered is when you get these call centers, again, this goes back to the business model. Some business models are very, Hey, what would you like? What's your address? What's your credit card number? Thank you very much. Yours is more, you know, you obviously want people, you want a branded experience. You want people to feel comfortable with the product. Mine is, is much more technical in terms of, hey, if you get someone on the phone who doesn't know our product line, it's going to become quickly apparent that they don't. And it's going to be, you know, difficult for somebody on the phone who wants advice. How much 
can you train these reps? Like how much can you invest in them? And then can you have it go? Like, can you have two or three dedicated reps that you know it will ring to? Or does it just, does it happen to just go to, you know, this pool of 300 people and it pulls up a call and they're frantically trying to read a script, not knowing your company? How does that work? So I'm glad you asked that because this is something I was really insisted on when I started with the call center. I wanted, so before the customers called that number and they would get me every time. So it felt like, and before I bought the business, they would call and they would get Patty, the owner, every time. So the customers had an expectation that it was a small business, that they weren't getting a call center, that there was a relationship there. And also my customers were very, they feel very connected to this business. It's an organics business. They're always worried that the organics company is going to sell out and start making compromises. (laughs) So I really didn't want it to feel like a call center when they called. So I said to the call center folks, I said, I want two people. And I want them to be dedicated to nurture my body. And I don't have enough call volume to take up two people all day long. But what I said is one of these two people answers the phone or it goes to voicemail. And I said, you know, and really, if you have two people, someone should be there during business hours, even if one of them's at lunch. So I said, if these two people are here, they get the call. If they're not, if they're both happen to be off or sick or at lunch, voicemail and one of those two people will call them back. So I was really adamant about that. So my calls don't go into the giant round robin and any person that's not familiar with the company, that's not familiar with the products, that's not familiar with the customers answers the phone. So it's one of two people always. And the cool thing about that is then I told those two people, I said, remember the customers, like put note, we have a ticketing system and a little and notes in big commerce. I was like, put notes on the customer accounts. And when they call back, you can say things like, hey, Annie, like nice to talk to you again which goes um, you know, so far in customer support for making it feel personal. And so then what I did is I said, all right, two people in the call center said, okay. And they thought that was weird. They were like, you don't want it to round robin. You want it to go to voicemail. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, yes, I do. Because you know, most of their customers just want the calls answered, period. And then they, they read a script. And then it's a shitty experience, right? And everybody hates it. So I have it dedicated to two people. And then if not, it just goes to voicemail and then the voicemail drops into the ticketing system and then they just call them back. And I think that's a much better experience overall because how often are they not there? Are two people not there during business hours? Yeah. And then I have the message, you know, we are open from whatever, eight to five. If you've called outside, just leave a message and we'll call you back. So nobody ever or very rarely does someone have the expectation of, or the experience of just ring, ring, ring voicemail. And never does someone have the experience of, I don't know what the heck I'm talking about. So in terms of training them, did you, obviously, I'm sure they've got notes and scripts and FAQs they work from. Did you personally sit down with them and train them for a certain amount of time on saying, here's who we are, here's our top products, like, let's role play some conversations? Or was it more of a, you just typed up a huge document and let them go at it? Oh, so I actually flew out there. Oh, Uh, (laughs) yeah. Even better. So I requested two agents who were in my demo. I wanted like 35 to 50 year old women. And I said, I want two agents that fit my demo. So my customers feel like they're talking to someone. Once I had them picked, uh, I flew out there, uh, sat down with these two women. And I made, obviously, the FAQ. Like, these are the 20 most frequently asked questions that we get. Here are the policies. You know, you've got to write all that out. You've got to write everything. Because these people, not only do they not know your business, they don't feel empowered to make a call and to, or to make a decision. So if something, if you don't have a policy for everything they end up paralyzed on the phone and then they can't help the customer. And it looks weird because your brand doesn't know what the heck it's talking about. And then they make wrong decisions or they have to call you and call the customer back. So the more you document, the better. And Andrew, I know you're a huge SOP guy. 
That's that's really that's cool. It's it's awesome that you can actually do that and that you took the steps to do that because I think so many most of the time you call a call center, it's a terrible experience, <laughs> which is obviously yeah. what you were trying to get away from. So going back to that, how do you, do you monitor? And I'm sure maybe you don't now, but at the beginning, did you monitor their calls, listen to them like after, you know, a couple of weeks or a month, go back and say, Hey, you're doing a great job here. This needs to be tweaked. Were you coaching them along the way as, as you heard their progress? I do. I still do. And a com- this is a combination also of emails. So we use Help Scout for a ticketing system. So if you are going to provide customer support of any kind, especially outsourced customer support, get a ticketing system. Zendesk is another one. I used Zendesk for a year and hated it. And then I switched to Help Scout. It was like my eyes were opened. I didn't realize it could be this good. Um, so I love sponsored it. by Help Scout. I know, seriously. <laughs> Help Scout and Ring Central sponsored by. But it's like fifteen bucks a month per agent. It's like nothing, but it lets them all log in. You can track every. You can assign things to different agents. If an agent has a question they don't know, they can assign it to you. You can make a comment on the thread, assign it back to them. It also lets you do things like uh, you can monitor metrics of how many tickets do they close. And I also told them, I said, you have a phone call, you create a ticket, you document, you attach it to the customer, you document what you talked about, and then you close the ticket. So then you can see inside all at once inside of Help Scout, the graphs, you know, how often, how many tickets were working per day, et cetera. And then you can click in and like read what they said. Most good call centers will also offer you the option of call recording. So they could say, you know, a certain percentage of calls each month will be recorded and monitored. And, you know, that's why you always hear that this call may be recorded for quality and training. And every call center, it's because they're recording some fraction of them. So you can ask for that and then you can go back and listen. The other thing that I did is I gave the two call center agents that are working on my brand, I gave them tons of free product. And I said, you need to take this home. You need to use it. You need to use it on your kids. Nice. Decide what you, and they were like, really? It was like, I mean, you should have seen it. It was like shopping spree. I was like, yes. <laughs> like, what do you want? Anything you want. And, the, you know, so I gave them each, you know, at my cost, a hundred bucks of free product. And the return on that is incredible because then they can say like, my favorite shampoo is this one. Or I've tried it on my baby. And how important is that? That's brilliant. In terms of how they interface with your technology, do they just have access to your big commerce back office? Is that how they edit they orders? Add, okay. Yeah. And I had to train them on that. So I flew out there, I logged in and there's SOPs on like how to refund an order. And it's got screenshots from big commerce. Screenshots are huge. If you can put screenshots in your SOPs, uh, it really helps. Because these people, you know, they might not have ever worked a big commerce store before. They're jumping in and out of different systems all day. So I just created a new user in BigCommerce that, you know, and restricted their permissions to only order management. And then I just check in once, you know, once every once in a while. And I say, hey, BigCommerce, show me all the refunded orders. And I look at the list and I've told them, anytime you refund an order, you got to leave a note in the private notes field on BigCommerce as to why you refund it. So then I just click through all the notes and they leave the ticket number also in the notes. Then I click through all the notes, look and help scout at the ticket number and say, okay, this is why they refunded this. And if there's any situations why they shouldn't have, I email them like next time don't refund in this situation because X. Perfect. And finally, any, any recommendations for good call centers to use or, or at least start having conversations with that people are interested? The thing about call centers, the call center I actually ended up going with is my warehousing company. They have a full service call center as well, which is really handy because then if someone calls wanting to know about an order, it's just in the next room. So then it really starts to feel like your stuff is an outsource because your call center and your warehouse are in the same spot. That's nice. So ask your warehouse, if you have outsourced logistics, ask your warehouse, 
if they have a call center function or would be even willing to do. I don't know if they would if they don't do call center if they would want to start because there's a whole management thing and a technology thing. But if your warehouse has it, I would recommend doing that. If not, you can find a bunch of them on Google. Often there are specialized call centers, depending on the industry you're in. Like there are specialized call centers for legal. There are specialized call centers for, you know, various things. So if you can find one that specializes in the thing that you do, you know, then it's less training. The other thing you're going to have to ask them is, do they have minimums? You know, and that's, I'm sure everyone out there is used to asking every vendor whether they have minimums. (laughs) But call centers too, you know, they might want to deal with Verizon and not with you. Got it. Perfect. Bill, so cool to hear about that because it's it's just a black box for me. Something we're going to be exploring this this year, and and appreciate you coming on talking about this kind of stuff. And I'm excited to call the nurture my buddy phone number and test them out. See see how they do. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks, Bill. This has been great. Appreciate it, buddy. All right. Thanks a lot, Andrew. That's going to do it for this week. But if you're interested in launching your own e-commerce store, download my free 55 page ebook on niche selection and getting started. And if you're a bit more experienced, look into the e-commerce fuel private form. It's a vetted community for store owners with at least 4,000 in monthly sales or industry professionals with at least a year or more experience in the e-commerce space. You can learn more about both the ebook and the form at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening. And I'm looking forward to seeing you again next Friday.